So yesterday, I was with the Ardmore football team. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got an opportunity to kind of become the team chaplain, uh, Ardmore football team. Me and Coach Wright, uh, the, the coach that came in that year, just really hit it off. And uh, so I got to go watch them scrimmage. I get to spend time with the guys and speak to them and pray with them and stuff like that. Uh, I went to watch them scrimmage each other yesterday. I love watching football at all levels because I'm too out of shape to do it anymore, so the best I can do is watch it. So the thing I noticed yesterday is the same thing that any of you notice when you watch a good team. The offense is most impressive when each player isn't just doing their own thing. When each, the, they're most effective, they move the ball most effectively when they are working in the same direction with the same purpose and the same goal. Everyone is executing their part to make the play successful because when a football play is run perfectly it's like ballet like there it's it's there's grace to it it's just beautiful the blocks are coming at the right time the running back hits the hole at the right moment it's it's beautiful all right it's just beautiful so if you watch a good team uh, and you watch their offense and they look beautiful like that they didn't get like that overnight it took a lot of practice. A group of players don't just show up, put on pads, and immediately start playing well together. It takes time and intentional effort from the coaches and the players to get there. I know Coach Wright and his coaching staff at Ardmore have worked hard to bring unity to the team. Each day they practice hard, they work on fundamentals, they run drills, they scrimmage, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And at the end of the practice, Coach says the exact same thing that he said yesterday. All right, boys, bring it in. If you played football or probably other sports, that's the best news. That's, that's the gospel. That's good news, right? Because what that means is practice is over for one thing. And it means I get to take his helmet off and I get to go take a knee, right? And so yesterday, Coach Wright did that. He said, bring it in, boys. And it means stop what you're doing. Come here. Take off your helmet. Let's take a knee and let's talk about where we are and let's talk about where we're going. Greg and I got to be a part of that talk uh, a couple weeks ago. And Coach brags on things that are working well. He points forward to what needs to be worked on further. He speaks truth even when it hurts and the guys don't want to hear it. But he knows it's important for the future unity of the team. Today, we're starting a series called Bring It In. And the reason we're calling it Bring It In is because the same thing that Coach Wright does at the end of every practice and every other coach does at the end of the practice, he calls everybody in. He talks about where we are, what's working well, and what do we need to work on. Guess what the series is supposed to do? This is a time for us to come in, take a knee, take your helmet off, and listen to God's word. Now, listen to me. God's our coach. We get to listen to God from his word and will assess where we are as a church and how we can move forward. I pray that through this series we're drawn together and that we're reminded that we are in this together and we need each other. So I want to read the passage um, that we're going to be looking at today. Um, chapter Verses 1 through 19 of chapter 1 are kind of introductory. There's a lot of good stuff in there, but we're not going to focus on those. Um, that'll be another sermon for another day. But I want to start at verse 20 and read through verse 26 together. Philippians 1, 20 through 26. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage... Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which I should choose. I'm torn between these two. I long to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better, especially for me. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that, because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Let me say a word of prayer. We're going to come back and talk about this. Father God, we trust you and we know that your word is true. We know, God, that you've given it to us, God, so that we can know you better, so that we can know ourselves better, and, God, that we can be more obedient to you um, in the things that you've called us to do. God, today as we study this passage as a, as a team, God, as a church, God, I pray that you would draw out the principles that we need to hear today. God, may you encourage those that need to be encouraged. God, may you convict those that need to be convicted. And God, may we leave this place today closer to you, having been together and studied this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the book of Philippians, which I just read, um, is a letter. Now, letters uh, are somewhat non-existent in our culture today. Um, Don't think text message, email, okay? Those things are not what we're talking about. That's how we communicate now. A letter in Paul's day, Paul wrote this letter to a real group of people who were trying to follow Jesus together in a city called Philippi. And according to the letter itself, Paul wrote it and he sent it with a guy named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was someone who the church at Philippi had actually sent to Paul who was in prison at the time. They sent Epaphroditus with some money, with some means to take care of him, probably some bandages to help bandage up some wounds. And he sent, they sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul who is in prison when he's writing this letter. And then Paul sends his letter that we're reading right now. He actually, we actually write, he wrote this letter and sent it back to the church with Epaphroditus. But the way that this letter system, I've been studying this some lately, uh, really, really interesting. The way that this letter system would have worked in the first century was that Epaphroditus would have been with Paul throughout most of the letter writing process. So as the letter uh, is being producted, uh, produced, not productive, that's another word. But as the, as the letter is being produced, uh, Epaphroditus is there with Paul because this wasn't a quick writing process. This is why we don't think email, don't think text message, okay? Many scholars believe that Paul would have sculpted this letter over weeks, that it would have taken him weeks to get everything just like he wanted. And he would have, he would have used leather, um, leather uh, writing tablets to, to kind of write. They would have written out multiple drafts. He probably would have had a team together with him. He actually talks about who his team is in some of the letters. And then after they worked through multiple drafts, he would have actually hired a secretary to draft the final copy, which was written on papyrus, which was very expensive. I think uh, paper lined with gold or something. Like, I don't, know how, I don't know what it would look like in today's culture. But this was a long process. And so then Epaphroditus would take this expensive papyrus um, written by the secretary. He would carry it back to Philippi, and the church would be gathered together. And Epaphroditus would read from the papyrus the letter to Paul. And he would, he would try his best to convey uh, the same passion that Paul had written it with. 
And as he's reading it, the church is hearing his voice as if it's uh, Paul himself speaking. All right? So let's think about that. This, this letter's been, it's been written. Epaphroditus carries it to Philippi. He opens it up. The church is gathered together. And then Epaphroditus reads it as if he's Paul himself reading it to the church. Sounds a lot like what I saw yesterday. <laughs> the church has come in to take a knee. They were probably not taking a knee, but they've come in. And the coach, Paul, he's proclaiming over them through Epaphroditus what he sees in them and what he wants them to know. That's the image of Paul's letters, that Paul is bringing it in and conveying to them in a huddle what he wants them to know, what he wants them to work on, and what he wants them to keep doing well. This morning we'll see that Paul actually in the first part of this reveals his own heart to the people. And what he shows them is that every team, if you're a note taker and the notes are in your seat, this is the title, every team has a reason. Every team has a reason. And Paul reveals to us what his reason is, what his drive, what drives everything else that Paul does, what drives Paul to not just coast once he's arrested and put in prison, but to continue to get after it, even to the point of death. This is what's going on. What we see is that Paul is showing his readers that the reason for living is not a selfish reason. If you were to observe the decision-making of anybody, not us because we're super spiritual, right? We're super spiritual people. We don't do this, okay? These are those people. You know what I'm talking about? It's us too, okay? But if you were to observe the decisions many people make every day, you would find a recurring theme, selfishness. They make decisions based on themselves solely, and this is not how a team functions and for the love of all that's good, it's not how a church should function and it's not how Christians should function. So Paul has given us a new purpose. He's given us a new reason to live. And so Paul has two that he reveals to us here. Number one, he says, everything I do is for the glory of Christ. Look at verse 20 again. He says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now... As always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, Paul says here, I will not be ashamed and I will live with courage so that whether I live or die, people will remember the name of Paul. Is that what he said? I want to make a name for myself. I want people to remember Paul the apostle. That's not what he says. Paul says that all his eagerness and hope is founded in honoring Jesus Christ. Why does Paul want to live his life with unashamed courage, as he talks about? So that Jesus would be exalted. That the gospel would go forward. That's why Paul's not coasting in prison and whining and fussing about the state of his situation. He continues his ministry because the glory of Christ is more important than the difficult situation he finds himself in. So think about it for a moment. As an individual, what would your life look like if you lived every moment for the glory of Christ? What if the decisions that you made on a regular basis, 
were made with honoring Christ at the center instead of your reputation, your wants and desires, your selfish ambition, your job, whatever it is for you. What kind of man or woman would you be if you, if you lived your life like this? What would you be known for? What would your community around you say of you? And what kind of difference could you make? I think we're all, we all recognize this would be huge. If we lived our lives this way, it would be huge. It would make, we would make a huge impact in our community, in our families. But let's zoom out a little bit more because this is what we do. Let's zoom out a little bit more. What would it look like if everyone who calls East home made a similar commitment? What would our worship services look like? Good night. It'd be awesome. We come in fired up. We don't, we're not coming in with our baggage. We're not coming in with all the sins that we've continued to give into that week. We're coming in ready to worship the Lord and Savior. What would our outreach look like? What would our community, what kind of difference will we make in our community? What, kind of, uh, what would our community say about who we are? What would we be known for as a church? Listen, every team has a reason for doing what they do. If you want to know why going forward, I can't speak for the past, but I can speak for the present and the future. We as a church will center our decision-making and our, our efforts and our ministries around two things that we're going to get to. But the first thing is that, the glory of Christ. You ought to be able to look at a decision that I make as a pastor or that we make as a staff or leadership or whatever and I'll be able to look at it and go, oh, okay, I see, what he's, I see what he's doing there. He was thinking about the glory of Christ when he made that decision. This is what we're, this is our reason for doing what we do. But Paul says that there's another level to this. It's not just for the glory of Christ. He says it's for the good of the church. Point number two, for the good of the church. Look at verse 21. This is one of those scary verses. I'm not going to lie to you. This is one of those verses I memorized as a kid and I was like, I just wish that wasn't in the Bible because it's, it's challenging. Verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul recognized that his death, when Paul breathed his last, that would usher in for him ultimate pleasure in the presence of his Savior who had saved him. And that sounded really good to Paul. That sounded really good to Paul. Uh, the former pastor that I worked with, uh, Steve Hargrove, I love Steve to death. And Steve's one of these guys like Paul. He says, hey man, I'm fine to die today because I go to be with Jesus. And I always told him, don't say that when you're driving, like with me in the car, <laughs> right? I was always like, oh man, I'm with you, but don't take me with, like, I feel like there's, I feel like God's laid out more for me to do. You, you may feel like, hey, I'm ready to go. I feel like there's more. So let, let me drive, right? And that was always a scary thing. That wasn't in my notes. I just thought about that. But um, this is, this is, this is the mindset that Paul has. Paul is in prison and y'all, he could have easily gotten himself killed. All he had to do was slap the prison warden as he went by and Paul could have gotten himself killed and ended all this because he knew it would be a gain for him. All this could have ended and he could go to be with Jesus, but why doesn't he? Verse 22. Well, let's look at verse, he says 21, dude, it would be, it would be a gain for me to die. But he says in verse 22, but, or now, if I live on in the flesh, 
This means fruitful work. And I don't know which one to choose. You just picture Paul wrestling with this in prison. All I got to do is slap the prison warden and all this ends. But I know there's work for me to do. He says, I'm torn between the two, verse 23. He says, I long to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. (laughs) But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He says, since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. I love this conversation. It's why we need to slow down and read passages so that we understand what Paul's saying. Paul says the best route here is my death. That's my spiritual choice right now. If you were to ask me, do I want to die today or continue living, give me death. That's what Paul says. However, he points his finger at the Philippians. He says, you guys are still pretty messed up. There's still a lot of work to be done in Philippi and all the other churches that he's writing to. I know you still could use my encouragement. I know you could still use my help. You need to be discipled. That's what we need to notice. For Paul, true sacrifice wasn't death. For, for, for Paul, true sacrifice wasn't giving his life in death. That would be awesome. <laughs> That's actually what Paul wants. Paul says that the real sacrifice would be stay and to continue to minister to boneheaded people like the Philippians. People who can't seem to stay focused on who God is and follow him passionately. For Paul, true sacrifice wasn't death, but life. Do you see that contradiction? For True sacrifice for Paul wasn't death, it was life. Paul lived on for the sake of others, for the good of the church. So let me ask you a question. A question that I, I think... I think will hit home with us. What would it look like for you to have Lindsay Lane East at the center of your decision making? Before you make a decision, asking these questions, how will this affect my commitment to my church? How will this decision impact the fellowship I have with people there? If you and I ask these questions, What impact would we begin to make? What would we be known for? Because I'll be honest with you, I talk to a lot of people and there are way too many people that downplay what we have here. Way too many people downplay the role of the church. Hey, you can be a Christian, you ain't got to go to church. Well, no. (laughs) Don't think that's the answer the Bible gives. And I've talked to people that try to make a biblical argument, but the whole book of Acts stands in contrast to that. The whole book of Acts is a story that when people get saved, they gather together. When people get saved, they gather together all throughout cities and cities and cities. That's what people do. They experience salvation in Jesus Christ and they gather together to worship and grow. That's what we see. By the end of the first century, there were house churches everywhere. Why did they exist? Because when people experience Jesus, they immediately find a group of people to pray, worship, and grow with. Church, what we do here is important. 
and you have an opportunity to take part in it. Since June, whatever the date was, uh, whenever we started back to services, like the 6th or something, um, when it, since we started back, we've been working with a slim and trim skeleton crew of volunteers. It's really been just our leadership, our staff, our coordinators, and our team leaders. And so many of you, you were serving here regularly. You were doing stuff on Sunday mornings at least once a month. And, and then we shut it all down. And we ha- you haven't been able to use your gifts that God placed in you to serve in the church. You haven't been able to use those. We want to begin to open these positions back up. We want to provide opportunities for you to begin to serve again. Because we need one another. We want to do this together again. We need this local body to be strong, and and it will only be at its strongest when more of us are serving regularly. And so here's the deal. If you'd like to get plugged into a place of service, whether get plugged back in or plugged in for the first time, you can fill out a Connect card. You should have gotten one as a family when you came in. If you didn't, we'll have them at the door, and you can fill it out before you leave. You can also text East Space Connect to 31996. Or here's this. You can actually just show up on August 19th. On a Wednesday night at 6.30, we're going to be gathering right here in this sanctuary uh, to talk about leadership. Because we have a very clearly defined uh, definition of what leadership is here at our church. And we would love for you, even if you've never served somewhere, you don't say, I'm not a leader. If you want to volunteer, we're going to train you to be a leader. Because we believe that's what God's called us to do. It's part of our discipleship. And so August 19th, Wednesday night at 6.30, even if you don't fill out the Connect card today, come back at 6.30. We're going to be talking in here about general leadership stuff. What does it look like to lead at East? What does the Bible say about this? And then we're going to be splitting up. Miss Terry's going to carry kids, uh, workers. Um, the, the Parvins are going to be carrying group leaders. And then we're going to be meeting in here and some other places with our other volunteers, uh, whether you're counselors or whether you're uh, hospitality greeters and things like that. You need to be a part of this event. And so come, August 19th. There's a shameless plug. Now, in the opening part of Philippians 1, Paul gives his reason to live. He says, man, this is, this is what drives me. And so I'm going to ask you, are these two things, the glory of Christ and the good of the church, are they even on your radar when you make decisions? Are those two things, the glory of Christ and the good of the church, are they even on your radar when you make decisions? If not, let me ask you, what can you do this week to change it? What can you do this week to begin your, to live your life for the glory of Christ and the good of the church? Because for us to be a team that works together, we've got to have a common purpose, a reason. Every football team, every single, these, yesterday, I show up at 745 and there's middle school boys who I know stayed up all night playing Call of Duty or something. Uh, They didn't get much sleep, but they showed up at 745. Why? Maybe because they're scared of the coaches. Maybe. But most of them want to be a part of something. They have a reason that drives them. It may be looking cool in a jersey on Fridays because the ladies love a jersey. Maybe that's it. But for a lot of them, 
They're wanting to be a part of wins. They want to be a part of a good team that wins and is successful. That's why they do what they do. And for us to be a team, we've got to have a common reason that draws us together, even in the midst of conflict, even when we don't get along perfectly. We've got to have something that keeps us close. Our reason for everything here is the glory of Christ and the good of the church, just like Paul. When you're faced with big decisions in the coming days, consider these two things. Will this bring more glory to Christ and will this serve to better the church? Today, what I pray, as, as I've done this week, that God has either encouraged you with these two things or he's convicted you. For me, I'll be honest, it's been a lot of conviction and some encouragement. You can have a mixture. Either way, no matter what God has done for you as we've opened up the scriptures and we've looked in the mirror at ourselves, either way, there is a response to God as we sing this last song here soon. If you, the reasons, if these two reasons, the glory of Christ and the good of the church, if those things are already front and center in your life, praise God for you. But what you need to know is that those things are only there because the Spirit of God put them there. And so you need to be thankful today. You, need to, you may want to come to the altar and, and voice a prayer of thankfulness. Or you may just want to sing like nobody can hear you on this last song as a form of worship to who God is and what he's done in your life. If these reasons have not been in the center of your life or even on your radar, we need to repent of that. We need to repent and come back to Christ. These are the reasons we live, move, and breathe. These are the reasons we exist as a church. Other things are going to distract us from keeping these things centered, but we've got to fight to keep these things centered. You may want to pray a prayer of repentance for how you've been living your life. And the first and major way that we bring glory to Christ is by trusting in him fully and surrendering our lives to him. That's the way the journey begins. If you've not called out to God to save you or shared and or shared that salvation with your local church by being baptized, we would love to talk with you about that. We want to talk with you. Uh, we, we just ask that during this last song, of course, you can also catch us after, but we want to ask that during this last song, if you'd like to talk with us about salvation or talk to us about baptism, Come talk to me up front. We're going to have two counselors by the back door as well, our decision counselors that would love to talk with you about that too. Just tell them or me, I want to be saved or I want to be baptized. We've got you covered. Here's the good news. We're already lining up baptisms. This morning and the previous and last week, we've got baptisms coming. So there's about to be water in the baptistry, baby. Amen. We prayed for it as a staff. We prayed for it. And God gave us brick to be baptized. Brick was the first fruit, big man, of our prayers as a staff. And now we just continue to pray, God, keep them coming. And so that's what our staff has been praying. I challenge you guys as a church to pray for that too. And so we're excited to be able to get back in the water very soon. And this response time may also be a time for you to sign up to serve using the Connect card or talk with us about joining the church. We're moving four families right now through membership. Praise God for what he's doing in our church. This is exciting stuff, y'all. So however God has laid on your heart to move, 
through this message of finding reason and purpose for what we do, you respond as God leads. I'm going to pray. We'll stand and sing, and you can respond however God has laid on your heart. Father God, we love you and we thank you that we know your word is true, but God, oftentimes we don't want to hear it because it hurts us, because we know, God, that in our hearts we're, we're being disobedient to you in some ways. And God, I pray that today as we've opened up your word, God, that we, we've, been, we've been drawn... Uh, back to who you are and God that uh, today that we can we can put a we can put a stake in the ground that from this moment forward God we want to we want to think about the glory of Christ and the good of the church in our decisions as individuals and in our ministries and our decisions as a church God help us as a staff to lead out in these two things God may we as a church be known in our community by those two things God, we love you and we thank you. And I pray, God, that today we are all drawn into a deeper relationship with you and understanding of who you are. God, be with us and help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.